Folks, a quick message from our sponsors, Know Before. So what's a con game? It's a fraud that works by getting the victim to misplace their confidence in the con artist. In the world of cybersecurity, we call confidence tricks social engineering. And as our sponsors, Know Before, will tell you, human error is how most organizations are compromised. What are some of the ways organizations are victimized by social engineering? We'll find out here in just a minute. Now, our sponsors' questions about forms of social engineering come in this form. Know Before will tell you that there's human contact, there can be con games. It's important to build the kind of security culture in which your employees are enabled to make smart security decisions. To do that, they need a new school security awareness training. See how security culture stacks up against Know Before's free phishing test. Get it now at knowbefore.com forward slash phishing test. That's knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Now, no before wants to thank you for listening to the show and I want to thank them for sponsoring it. They are the provider of the world's largest security awareness and simulated fishing platform. Be sure to take advantage of their free fishing test, which you can find at knowbefore.com forward slash fishing test. Think no before for your security training. Hey everyone, welcome to the CISO Talk podcast on the CyberHub Podcast channel. Joining me, Chris Roberts. Chris, what's happening? There we go. Yep, lost you for a sec. Can you hear me okay now? Yeah, I gotcha. All right, brilliant. How are you doing, Chris? Good, hanging into early morning up in the mountain. You know, that's the beauty of, um, Mount, well, that's the beauty of being a, just an all around badass dude. You get to go to the mountains on a Friday morning. Yeah. Rug ride time. So it's good. Good to hang out here. I love Colorado. So I'm, I'm, I'm I don't even want to get into Colorado cause then we'll spend the entire podcast talking about Colorado and it'll make me miss it and regret the fact that I live in Atlanta and not in Denver. And so Chris, you're coming on the show. We're here to talk a little bit about cyber, but um, one of our favorite conferences, I think when you and I were speaking, like this is one of like our favorite events ever, Tel Aviv University Cyber Week. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, the fact that COVID has destroyed our uh, annual trip to Israel is very, very disappointing. Um, you know, and typically like this, this conference is never in October. It's always like in June, July. So it's like perfect weather. Like you go to the beach in the morning. Perfect weather for you. Remember, you know, part English, part Scottish kind of guy. Yeah. I'm based up in Colorado. There's no moisture in the air. I turn up in Tel Aviv. It's like walking into a warm bread oven. I'm like, the hell is this doing? So I, I, I do this more. I, I, I love Tel Aviv University Cyber Week because I get to go. Um, the beauty of Israel is uh, you can wake up at 6 a.m., go grab a surfboard, go to the beach for about an hour. You'll make 10 new best friends yep. while surfing or, or paddle boarding, whatever it is that you're doing. And then you go, you take a quick shower, you hop in the cab, 
you have a great conversation with the cab driver, and then you're at Tel Aviv University uh, going through security and the <laughs> into the facility. It's um, I miss it. It's, it's it to your point. It is one of those ones when when they when we realized that we wouldn't be able to do it this year. And I mean, yes, we're doing the online one, but we realized we wouldn't be able to do it this year. It was definitely one of those ah moments. And I think, you know, I mean, we, we, you have to go through the same thing I do, the, the crazy flights back and forth and landing in Tel Aviv at, you know, midnight, one o'clock in the morning for all the fun and games that that brings. But, I mean, just the people over there, the, the, and especially the folks over at TAU and Cyber Week are freaking amazing. I mean, yeah. just some amazing. And then you get you know, 60, 70, 80 different countries worth of people all coming into this one place. And you can just hang out, talk, relax, enjoy. The conversations are just phenomenal. I'm really freaking bummed about missing like the the physical one this year. Me too. Shout out to Dutch who just uh, is tuning in and he's like commenting. So shout out to uh, Dutch Schwartz, the legendary, the man, the legend. Um, um, it's it's awesome to have him tune in. But so you're giving a very very interesting talk this year at Tel Aviv University because you were telling me about it beforehand and then Alexandra and many and a bunch of other people were like oh yeah we're doing this really really cool conversation around the brain and cyber so yeah so but before we get started for those watching listening tuning in um the link to register to the event is going to be below. Um, for those listening on the podcast later that are not live, you can just um, go to Tel Aviv University Cyber Week and register. Um, I do have some free passes. Just do CyberHub free. Um, they're very limited passes, so you can use them to get in for absolutely free to the event. But let's talk a little bit about your keynote. What are you going to be talking about, Chris? Because you're about to <laughs> blow everyone's mind. <laughs> We're going to have some fun. So I have to give credit. I have to give a huge shout out to Ryan Clotier. He's uh, over at Cyber Studio and uh, he and I and Evan do the shit show on Thursday nights. And when we first started talking, we started talking about like the analog human in a digital world. And it kind of clicked because, I mean, this is what we've been talking about. It's what we're dealing with. And the, the premise of the talk is simple. We have managed in the last two years to put so much data out on the internet and so much of our, so much of ourselves, so much of our life, so much of our work, and, and everything else around us. I mean, we literally live on the stupid thing these days. But the one thing we get to figure out is is the noggin, you know, is the brain. And yet, we still go down this premise of, hey, we can digitize the brain, we can turn it into a computer, and all these other things. And I'm actually doing a bunch of work behind the scenes on pulling EEG signals out of the brain and all sorts of other things. Basically, I want to retire to an AS400 in New Zealand. <laughs> and so. A couple of years ago, I touched on this a little bit um, at Cyber Week when I was out there. And then we've been doing a bunch of work so far. And literally, it was like, okay, let's have this conversation. Let's actually sit down and go, how realistic is it to take the billions of neurons and the firing sequences and the signals and actually turn it into something on the digital world that we can do something with? You know, where are we? Where are we going? Where are we heading? And what are we going to do with it? You know, those general questions. So we had a whole bunch of fun with that one. So I threw a whole bunch of fun slides together, a bunch of fun facts, a bunch of crazy stuff. Threw Westworld in there. We have Howl 9000 is in there. Just all sorts of fun things that we chucked in there just to get people thinking. Because, again, you know, a lot of people think traditionally the computer is this thing that's sitting in front of you and I to play on this. Well, as we're advancing technology and as we are moving into new eras of technology, we're obviously putting more, we're augmenting ourselves, 
we're augmenting the world around us, we're looking to see how we can actually integrate more effectively with the computers. So it's like, okay, let's go down this and let's really take a long, hard look at this one. Yeah, I think you, you bring up something very interesting, and I think this is a really interesting talk. You heard you heard me now, right? Because I know our internet connection's a little bit of a challenge this morning, folks. So it's it's first world problems. When I was on with um, um, uh, someone from Australia, um, I blamed it on dolphins. Um, I can't blame it on dolphins this time because there's just pure land, so we can blame it on deer, um, you know, or 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 I'm blaming it on the hotel. I'm actually blaming this on the hotel. I'm in a gorgeous old, old, old hotel in the middle of like Glenwood Springs, and it's lovely and it's creaky and it's old worldly, and there's probably ghosts in the walls. But man, there's no freaking internet. It's horrible. Well, it, it it is what it is. But we always we always talk about yeah. I mean, what are we going to do? First world problems, right? There's places in the world where people don't have internet, and exactly. so um, um, we can't complain. We're live on LinkedIn. Yeah, I mean, the connection isn't you know, but we're live on LinkedIn, folks. So deal with that. But I will. So so Chris, we always blame the humans for every single cyber thing, right? Like, yeah. um, um. I, I think you and I share the same opinion, which is when you blame a human and technology doesn't catch up to the human, um, you end up in a really kind of bad place. Like um, Justin Berman, um, the CISO over at Dropbox, he yeah. said um, th- this year at RSA, I was um, we were hanging out. We actually did a podcast and he said, when someone understands how to build technology around humans, that humans like that can make up for the lackluster performance of a human, that's going to be the groundbreaking technology. You're like, basically what you're saying in your talk is, is just that, right? Let's study the brain. Let's study human behavior. And then we're able to build a better security, a a better security program. It's it's security. It's the safety side of it. Again, it's, and it's crazy. I mean, okay, take a standard human, regular, normal human being. We function, the body functions with about 11 million signals coming to the brain every single second. The conscious brain can only process 50 of those signals. So you think about the amount of background processing that we've been doing, you know, ever since we first crawled around on this planet several thousand years ago. That's a lot of that's been background processing. And so we've managed with that. Now you look at the amount of data that we are bombarded with. We just can't process it. We haven't got the capabilities or the ability to process it. It's simple. We're wetware, and we're not exactly wet. We're not good wetware. And so it's like, okay, how do we augment that? How do we do something about it? How do we simplify the security and the safety side of the message? Or how do we actually... Uh-oh. Oh, there we go. You're back. <laughs> Freaking... it's the listen i know it's frustrating and and you're saying some brilliant stuff and 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 it's a bit frustrating but we're 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 still on track man we're still on track um so when when you you just brought up a really good point which is you look at you know how humans are able to process all this different data and then we as cybersecurity folks want someone who's in accounting or in finance to not only know he, he needs to process his work data which is a lot of data and very sensitive work oh and by the way don't click on that phishing email or don't second second guess everything or pick up the phone and call people. And so we're kind of like making security impossible because we're trying to blame it on the human rather than develop the right technology to support the human's work. 
Would yeah. you agree I mean, with that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, it, and it's a fine line because you're right. I mean, I know I've stood up on stage and blamed humans. I've blamed my mother, my grandmother <laughs> for the failure of the internet. I'll fully admit it, unfortunately. But then you take a step back and you go, okay, I can educate the human. How much can I educate them to click responsibly? How much can I educate them to look after themselves, to patch? And then you take a step back and go, well, why the hell should they? Why haven't we built a system, an architecture, and an entire industry around doing it right the first time? That's kind of why I like, the, I love the DevSecOps movement. It's like, how do we, how do we get to ground zero and build it up from there properly, correctly, and effectively? Still going to be issues, but they're going to be a heck of a lot less than we're facing now. And it's like, okay, that's one way of doing it. Then you turn around and go, okay, look, we're building much more intelligent systems. We're building very narrow AI architectures. We're building machine architectures, which are actually effective at very, very narrow tasks. How about we put enough of those in a line and go, hey, look, enough of you buggers could actually start to look after enough of us humans. But then you have to still take a step back and go, look, the human has to take some responsibility. Um, now, interesting times we're talking about this because we talk about responsibility. With The shit show last night was all about voting. And it was voting responsibly. It was saying to every single human, especially in the U.S., going, hey, there is an election coming up. It's important. I actually don't care who you vote for, but what I want to do is I want you to go and educate yourself effectively so that you vote. And it's the same thing with security. It's like, look, it's not going away. We're all going to get our asses handed to us. How can I help you understand enough so that you can look after yourself, your family, and the friends of people around you? And it, it's really that balancing point. And... I don't think we've hit it. We, we, we overload, exactly to your point, we overload, and I don't think we provide effective enough communication. So there's a saying that common sense isn't so common. Yes. And we in security, we often have... So I, I've made a commitment in 2020, before COVID, that I wasn't going to speak at any cyber events this year. I said, I'm only going to speak outside of the echo chambers of cyber events, Right. So yeah. I've done that, and what I've realized is my first pitch was a disaster. Like the first speaking I did uh, to a group of CFOs um, in January of this year was an absolute disaster. I'll stand up and say it. It was a disaster. You know why? Because I was used to speaking to the echo chamber. So I was using terminology and humor that only us in the echo chamber, like when you talk, you talk to cyber folks, right? We talk within our own echo chamber, within our own terminology, but everyone else around us is looking at us like those guys our security the future of our online security is in the hands of those people and people yeah. like like say that like we don't see it from the outside but sometimes we have to step away and look inside to see what are we saying to the outside world and then why do we constantly why is it for the last 5 years we're talking about the same cybersecurity challenges over and over and over and over again yeah, Rachel uh, Rachel Arnold has got a really good way of putting it. She's um, she talks about us getting off of our own island, right? And I love it. Yeah, and it's a, and again, it's the same thing. Echo chamber island. It's the same logic. It's like, okay, how can we effectively take this message? It's kind of why I love doing the wisenary stuff. We've built a dictionary. I mean, we shouldn't have to do it, but we've done it. We've built a dictionary that translates geek to English. Uh, right. It, it's actually we've done. It. It's a ton of fun doing it. But it's one of those things where you're like, okay, I shouldn't have to do this. We should be able to communicate effectively, but we're not. Um, and then, you know, we overcome, not only do we talk in our own acronyms, we've got so much complexity. You know, it's like, okay, well, hang on. Am I patching? Um, am, am I looking, what's this EDR thing? Okay, so I'm on endpoint. Okay, it's antivirus with a new name. Okay, I can deal with that. 
that hang on, what do you need me to do with this? Do, do I click this? Do I not click this? Um, am I allowed to click this? And uh, um, you know, we've unfortunately we've we've muddied the water so much. I mean, you know, we talk about no selling on here, which is what I love. But when you think about it, the pressure is you've got thousands of security vendors out there. Each one of them is fighting for a new voice. Each one of them is fighting for air time and airspace. And half of them, you know, half of them have got bloody vaporware, and the other half of them, unfortunately, are fighting for the very same voices. So, yeah, it's a challenge. Um, we ourselves need to get our own house in way better order than we currently have. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I think that's one of the things I've loved about Tel Aviv University Cyber Week mm. is um, the ideas that come on not just from the main stage but from the breakout rooms or from the conversations are always like i remember last year in the speaker's lounge we i was sitting in the speaker's lounge with uh, maria thompson the uh CISA for uh the state of north carolina and you had a crowd around you of uh people who wanted your whiskey um uh, a, a typical kind of crowd um um to to expect uh, <laughs> around chris at an event but i was having a conversation um with um another chief information security officer and he, he was sharing the challenge of trying to get across to the board to the executive leadership the idea of you know, kind of security within the company's DNA, which is a very, very interesting conversation, right? How do you intertwine security to be part of a company DNA, like people paying attention to a budget? And again, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I think in Tel Aviv, I mean, that's again, with Cyber Week, I had some amazing conversations. Uh, Probably one of the best ones I had is I snuck out, I think it was a year or two ago, I actually snuck out from the conference for two thirds, three quarters of a day and went over to one of the unnamed buildings that contained some of the Air Force folks. And we had an amazing time, did all sorts of interesting stuff, helped them out with a few things. But what came out of it was this sense, was this sense that basically in the US, if somebody's gonna attack us, we have time. We get to know about it. We could literally have a cup of tea. I could sit down and have a cup of tea before the ready missile lands in here. And we can you know, contemplate and decide what we wanna do. But when you look at Israel as a whole, they have seconds to react, literally seconds to react to something. Right. So that mentality and that mindset of protection, of understanding, of safety and security, I mean, it's in the blood. Unfortunately, you know, for good or for bad reasons, it's in the blood. It shouldn't have to be, but it is what it is. So it's part of their DNA. They live and breathe and die by it every single damn day. So when we talk about security, they understand it. It's a mental mindset they're fully in understanding. So what I love about going over there is you have all this fresh mindset. You have you know the Israeli mentality of debate, 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 which is freaking awesome. And then you also get this the mindset that understands what needs to happen. I mean, they have an entire part of the part of the government that does nothing more than look after their perimeter, their people, the internet presence, and everything else. We couldn't organize a piss up in a brewery over here to do anything like that let alone the country and the people inside this country accepting that yet over there they actually welcome that help we don't have that mentality which is part of the challenge well i think um you know to, to speak on behalf of you know like CISA and dhs and other people they do look for that assistance it's just a bureaucratic legal bs that's along the way to get that stuff done. We have too much bureaucracy here in Israel. Um, there's bureaucracy on everything. 
as an as 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 a half Israeli person who's married to an Israeli woman, there's bureaucracy around everything but one thing: security. Yeah, there's no bureaucracy around in all of Israel. You can have bureaucracy on getting in a taxi, going on a bus. Um, you yeah. can have bureaucracy over food, right? Like people debate what's the better food and it's falafel Arab or Israeli. Is it Jewish or pal? <laughs> you know, like, like those are debates yep. and you've got bureaucracy around that and, and, and politics. You don't have politics around security, around security, right, left, center. Yeah. If there's a missile coming towards Israel, no one sits there and goes, what should we do with that missile? Everyone comes in. And that's the mentality that, that when people always ask me, they go, well, why is so much cyber coming out of Israel? I go, because there's no politics. Right. It's pure. Well, it's, it's alignment. Everybody's in right. lockstep. And yes, you know, you're right. You hit the nail on the head. And again, that's another reason I love being over at Cyber Week is that debate structure. It's freaking awesome. I love watching it and I love being part of it because it challenges you. It actually makes you think more effectively. Right, but you're right. If something's happening, you're aligned. You're you're all pointing in the same direction. You're all working together effectively. We don't have that over here, and it's it's a shame. We have the capability, and let's face it: when you know those of us with a funny accent, when you kicked us out, you know, several hundred years ago, you kind of had your shit together then. But unfortunately, it's it's uh, it's waned, and that's well. I think it's easier to have your shit together when you've got nine million people who can align behind one thing that and and we had our shit together in 1776 betsy ross thank you very much um uh i'll put that on there as well right uh we 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 had this is my other shirt that i have next to me that i actually this is the one shirt that you actually have to be that's the one where you actually have to have the clearance to get into the damn shop to get the stupid But we had our shit together then because this country had a few thousand people in it and um, it was easier to get everyone aligned uh, behind one thing. And Israel's able to do that because they have 9 million people and irregardless to everything, they have one common value. They're all Jewish and uh, well, they're 80% Jewish, but they all understand that if they start eating each other, this country will no longer, this country will cease to exist because your enemies will take advantage of that. So, 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 so you have to do, I mean, the Israeli mentality is always fascinating. Uh, I mean, uh, Dr. Isaac Ben Israel or Yossi Shank Mm -hmm. or many Brazili or any of these people, if you sit with them in a room and you have a conversation, um, it's a different kind of conversation. Uh, politics don't play into that part of the, that security. It's all about how do you get cooperation? How do you get people to, you know, address the various challenges which help bring about a more secure world, right? I mean, one of the common things in Israel that Israel has to deal with, and I don't know if, uh, I don't know if you were privy to this conversation, I'm sure you were, but one of the ways uh, Israel's opponents attack them is through dating sites to the 18 and 19-year-old horny soldiers that are out in the field, right? With the geo-targeting, I mean, the IDF has had to deal with the kind of threats that you and I wouldn't think about. Like Ooh, U.S. military has seen the same challenges as well. I've had to deal right. with that on U.S. territory. U.K. stuff. When I was in, we didn't we didn't have dating sites. Um, U.S. military definitely uh, has seen the same thing. We've gone through the same challenges, especially when they're like, "Well, proof of you," and they put their flipping cat card up on the screen. I'm like, "You're killing me." Yeah, 
I mean, th- th- there's a, there's an aspect of that that's a challenge, right? And and that kind of brings it back to the human behavior. So so going back because I know I cut out because I can hear when when our signal goes in and out. So the the challenge beyond the cat card is is the fact that that's a human challenge, right? That goes right yeah. back to your talk, right? Yeah. How do we um, create technology where if I'm a soldier and I'm talking to uh, you know a really hot chick on Tinder? or wherever and she's like well prove to me that your name is really you know gerald levin and you're like well here's my id and you know can we develop can we have that technology that goes no 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 that id doesn't exist right that she's not seeing it um and 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 that's again that goes to ai and that goes to to new sets of technology and how can it be done and then how can you change human behavior when human behavior hasn't changed since you know, depending on your argument, either God put, you know, God created humans or the Big Bang did, um, and then we evolved from monkeys. Either way, can you change that behavior that's been a human behavior over thousands of years now with all the data, all the technology, and so forth? Yeah, that's a fun one. I gave a talk uh, fairly recently with uh, a different crew on on actually the evolution of security through like 12,000 years went back to the walls of Jericho and then went all the way forward. We, we had a ton of fun doing that one for the same reasons. It's like, okay, here's all the lessons we've learned in history. Here's everything that we're doing in history. Um, here's where we should have learned a lesson. Here's where we didn't. But yeah, took some of that and then also obviously took the brain stuff and melded it together. And we got, yeah, it, it'll be a fun talk. Um, it'll be a fun talk. It should be a fun talk. We'll see what happens. Hopefully you're also you're also interviewing a bunch of, um, of CISOs and yeah. other speakers, right? So that's yeah. good. Is, is that new for you to interview people? Because I know you're typically no, used to being interviewed. Like I've, I've typically, I'm very, okay. I'm very fortunate. I'm, I'm fortunate. I've done both. Um, again, with the other folks, the, with the wiser folks, we do the podcast every couple of weeks. So we've been doing that for a while, and I've done, I've done like fireside chats with people on stage. So it's actually, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. So I got Chris Hagnadi, which is he's a, basically he's a drinking buddy for crying out loud. We're all part of the Scotch Gone and. A bunch of other things, and I got Jaya, and Jaya and I met up uh, over in Tel Aviv—not uh, Tel Aviv, over in Turkey—a couple of years ago um, over at a conference, Vichy conference over there. So we kept in touch and kept talking, and so yeah, we get to go hang out uh, online at some crazy hour Monday morning or Tuesday morning. Yeah, for you, that's a crazy hour. For me, it's when I'm starting my day. Yeah, that, that, this is early for me. When I saw that we were meant to be talking at this crazy hour of the morning, I'm like, oh, you're killing me. Because I think I finished at about three something this morning. And yeah. again, the dogs are in an unfamiliar in territory. So since about six this morning, they've been up and like, hey, we're around. Are we here? Are we okay? Are we not okay? So yeah, it's been fun. Why are we not home? Where is my backyard? Oh my gosh. Yeah, these guys. Yeah, but believe me. I took Milo out with me last night. He and I went out for a walk last night. And uh, well, this morning, I should say like 3.30, 4.30 this morning. We went out for a walk this morning, went for a walk around the place, and he's cool because, I mean, he's, you know, he comes up to, like, he's about 200 pounds, so uh, he's he definitely has his presence when he wanders around the place. There's a whole debate, right? So so there's a whole debate around um, um, dogs in Colorado, right? Because there's, Colorado's like a really dog-friendly place. Like, yeah. really dog-friendly. Like, it's always been, like, I remember Colorado in the 90s. Dog-friendly place. Like, it was one of the first places to let people actually have dogs in their hotel rooms and bring dogs to the hotel. And some hotels even have, like, a doggy daycare in Colorado. Yeah. Um, 
And so, you know, it, it, it's it's interesting to see how that's evolved over the years now to where it's become standard in Colorado to have your dog yeah. with you everywhere you go. Yeah, it's nice. It's and I mean, these guys especially because, I mean, they're family. I mean, it, they are absolute family. Um, my both of them are uh, both of them are family. So it's kind of nice to have them around. I don't you know, we've left them before with other people and it's not been the best, uh, not been the best end result. So it's nice to have them hanging out. Although I say that they're all sitting, they're both sitting over on the sofa at the moment hanging out, which is nice. Well, you've trained them well because um, this is, might be the first one where a cat or a dog doesn't show up in the middle of the screen. Oh, Milo, Milo has very <laughs> often, when I'm back in the lab, Milo will uh-huh. quite often come in from like stage left and just <laughs> stick his nose right in the camera demanding a snack. So, yeah, Jen's, Jen's got him over there. She's hanging out with him, which is kind of nice. So, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about beyond, um, you know, just Cyber Week kind of a lot of the talks this year have always been around kind of like the new normal or COVID-19 or working from home overdone. Cause I didn't see any of those talks for cyber week. Like I was looking at the agenda <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so happy. I think there's like maybe one talk in three days that's around yeah. COVID-19. So what, what challenges are, do you think we need to address more of going forward as, as more people try to put on events now and so forth? What are some of the topics you'd say, Hey, let's just go down this route. I think, you know, to me, okay, you know, you're right. We hit COVID. We've gone through what, six, seven, eight months of this we arguably are going to be going through a hell of a lot more of it. I mean, you know, the, the new January is at least the middle of the year. So, and quite honestly, I don't anticipate doing many conferences next year at all. So for me, it's like, okay, let's, let's get over it. We're here. Now, what is the new reality? How distributed is our workforce in the new reality? How do we address collaboration and communication effectively in the new reality? We have always, I mean, security and safety have always been banging on the drum of third parties and vendors, supply chain, and everything else as being critical. Well, now your entire workforce is almost your third party supply chain. So how do you address those? How do you deal with the risk of those? How do you deal with them in different countries? And transient, you know, you look at how many companies are now saying, look, we actually don't want you back in the offices. We're going to sell the office and save some money. So you stay remote and we'll figure this shit out. So the how companies and organizations are working with humans is going to change considerably so hopefully security is is able to be part of those conversations and how do we wrap into basically a more transient workforce um we've been so used to saying oh we have walls and we have perimeters and we have a door which we haven't had for freaking years let's be honest but the physical ones have existed now they're gone so what do we do about it and i think that's a that's a really interesting one um, let's face it, budgets. I mean, budgets have been impacted. No two ways about it. Companies, people, everybody's been impacted. So now we have to take a step back and go, look, you know, we didn't always get what we asked for. By far and away, we've had to have those conversations about risk and reward and everything else. But now with the company being cut back, how do we do our part to be more effective, either with the tools that we have or consolidate those tools more effectively into much more effective business architectures and security architecture. So I think that's another one. And then I think the big one, again, comes back to the humans. It really comes back to how do we educate them more effectively? How do we help them? And how do we make it part of a conversation, not just a once a year, don't click shit, don't send shit? How do we do it so it becomes part of a daily practice, the daily ritual, whatever you want to look at it? So I think those are some big ones. I mean, without going off and chasing technology and 
giving people 50 questions to ask the next freaking AI blinky vendor. Um, I think those are the core ones. Yeah, uh, you, you brought up a really good point um, early on, which was how do we continue and how does communication and collaboration look like? People say different things on a Slack channel. People say something different on Slack than they do in a meeting room. Like yes. if when security and DevOps are sitting together to create DevSecOps and they're on a Slack channel, that communication and the feedback system is completely different because, you know, Twitter exists. The only reason Twitter is in business is because people say stupid shit on Twitter. Um, because if, you know, people would never say the stuff they say on Twitter if everyone was in the same room at the same time. Yeah. So, so what do you think? Like, that's a challenge. I feel like me as a CISO, I have a DevOps team in Israel. I've got a DevOps team here. I have a security team that's all over the country, right? And I'm trying to work you know, those people. And it used to be that once a month, I'd be in Israel with the DevOps team and we'd be having a conversation, right? All throughout the day, like the, like every day was just a prolonged conversation in the middle. We'd go grab some schnitzels, some kebabs, um, eat some yeah. really good food. You know, I'd eat five times a day when I was in Israel and not gain a pound. I come here, I grab one Chick-fil-A meal and I'm juggling for like five days, right? Yeah. Like riddle me that. Um, but, um, you know, that challenge, that communication challenge does exist. And that's something we really do need to overcome because how do you get people to clearly and effectively communicate without slowing down the, the, the pipeline and the processes and everything else? How do you see us kind of solving that? What's, what's the right way? What's that right hybrid model in your opinion? I think so. Again, I'm going to borrow from Evan and Ryan and the conversations that we have. I think it, a lot of it comes down to accountability. So, you know, Evan, Ryan, and I, we can disagree on screen, we can disagree off screen, we can be respectful of each other. I think we've lost a lot of that. You know, you said it. I mean, Twitter's nothing more than a, and basically a 24 by 7 dumpster fire for the most part. Right. And so it's like, okay, if you take that mentality, the collaboration and conversations that we have are always going to be that way. But if I treat you as an equal human being and I treat you the same way, if I, if I have to put myself in that mindset that you are sitting across the table from me. So how can I do that? How can I take my my analog self and take those emotions, take those responses, take that human engagement, take that respectfulness and move it into the digital world? We've lost that, we haven't done it. The digital is instantaneous, the ability for any kind of retribution. I, mean, I can sit here, is make my screen freeze, there we go. The worst you can do to me <laughs> from you and I insult the hell out of you the worst damn right so there's a difference there and I think that's the big one is we don't think about that the repercussions aren't there yeah the, the one thing I've been trying to do is create more and more zoom meetings right like get everyone on screen and I require people to have their cameras on so you can't hide behind your name or your emoji or whatnot. You have to kind of be on there. But the the, the challenge from being face-to-face -to, -face to being on Zoom is incredible. Mm -hmm. um, the reason for it is because um, in a room, when if, if you, me, and, 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 and a bunch of other people were in a room and we were having a conversation, 
our body language, your body yes. language, when I say something, I would read your body language and I would probably look at you and engage you to be like, you disagree with me. So let's get that out of the way on Zoom. I'm noticing that, you know, especially when you work with like an Israeli DevOps team, like you took, we're talking about earlier, that debate mentality. Well, yeah. the debate mentality isn't there, yeah. right? It's less of it. Because people are, are, are still, I like I'm at home, but I could be talking on zoom, but really, um, I'm, I'm might be playing a game. I might be answering an email. I might yep. be, you know, reading an article or, or, you know, browsing social media. And so you kind of end up losing almost that debate mentality. And I think that's one of those things that post COVID, we're going to start to see that hybrid model of getting these people all in a room together. Like, I think that's yeah. one thing that technology hasn't solved yet, which is the human to human interaction. So I think we're, we're on the way. And here's, here's, a, here's an interesting, I realized, again, we had the shit show last night and uh, I found a conference room where I could basically jack about pretty much the entire hotel's network last night. What there was of it, and I ended up having a laptop. There was nowhere for me to sit. There were no. There was one table, and it was a plastic table in the corner. So I put the laptop. I put the iPad on the on the table, and I stood back, and so you could see basically my entire upper half torso. Now this gets away from the fact that let's face it, on Zoom most of us are dressed from here to here, and right. then we're sitting in our underpants for the rest of it. You can't do that anymore because I was stood there and I was much more animated, and you could see it. You know, sometimes I got arms crossed talking about things. My hands are moving. I've got all these interactions going on. And I'm like, I'm not like this. Normally, when I'm sitting on a Zoom, my hands maybe do a little bit. But when I was stood, there was much more action and much more involvement. And it was really interesting. And it's, I'm going to try it when I get back to the lab. I'm going to do a couple of talks where I'm actually going to put the camera in somewhere where I'm actually up and I'm mobile, kind of like we are when we're on stage. And when we are, when we're talking to other people, there's much more, you can read a lot more of the human body because you can see a lot more of the human body. Um, so I'm interested to see where that goes. And again, if you take that a couple of logical steps further with the work that we're doing on projection capabilities and virtual reality capabilities, I mean, you look at some of the conferences where you've got the full VR screen. At that point, you have that human body that's mimicking what you're doing. It isn't the same, but it's better than just the posted stamp of my head and you know the, the, the top two-thirds of my torso. So speaking of which, I will tell you that the most effective security awareness training I've ever done for anyone has been with VR. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um, I did that last year when we were in Israel. I brought a bunch of um, VR security awareness training, um, and it was a it was a VR train. It was a security awareness training that um, our friend Idona Orr did. Um, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And so um, Ido did something really, really awesome. And um, people were sitting with the VR glasses, and I have pictures of CISOs and CEOs with their with their VR glasses going through that. And and when when it all ended, they went, "Wow." That was brilliant because it took you through the human logic aspect of decision making, right? Yeah. You're getting an email or you're having to open a door and it addressed a lot more. You know, it's your work week. Like, so um, I'm going to I'm going to make myself an espresso and all of a sudden someone's talking to me and then on the phone that I'm holding in my hand, an email shows up. So, you know, like a real life scenario, right? Like you're in the middle oh, of yeah. a conversation, making a cup of coffee, you get an email that says urgent on it. What do you do? Yeah. Right. You're multitasking. You're looking at your phone and I'm still talking to Chris. 
And that's when I click the link. That's when I put in my credentials. That's when I fall victim to my opponent's attack. And yeah, I felt um, like that was very effective. I feel like if people did more VR, I think VR has a cool aspect to it that's different from like a let's sit and do a 10 minute training. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Absolutely. And I think and you're right. And this, yeah. I hologram technology. Hologram that's, technology is going to change all of that. That's what I'm looking forward to. Um, is because, again, at that point, you. It's still, you know, I'll use Ryan's words, analog human digital world, but it's brought closer. I can now, to your point, I can see those expressions, the interactions. I can see the body movement. I can see the positioning. I can I can understand fight, flight or fight modes. I can understand defensive modes, offensive. I can get all of that that I can't see in, a you know, the post-it stamp typically that we do on this one. That's kind of why it was interesting standing up and moving around because I was watching myself on camera and I'm like, holy shit, I'm actually seeing how I am and I can figure out the reaction. So it's really, um, yeah, I think the hologram stuff is going to do it. And if they can do the VR side of it, that actually takes the entire body. I mean, we're talking, let's face it, we're talking Ready Player One at this point in time. Right. But it is that concept. It is, and I think we'll get there way before we get to the point where this thing is uh, is digitized, given uh, given the amount of complexities that we have. See, I think what's going to take what you're talking about and really deliver it 50 years forward is quantum computing. I think quantum computing, because of the ability of quantum computing to analyze a data lake of so much data and bring it down to a conclusion quicker, quantum could revolutionize that. Yeah, we got a long way to go. Uh, So, I mean, you want to talk about long ways to go. They uh, they were announcing like the 128 qubits architectures, but to me anything over because uh, I'm involved in some of that stuff. Um, anything over like 10 to 15 qubits on that at the moment, the signal to noise ratio, even with the algorithmic architectures to adjust for signal noise ratio, is still way off. We have a long way to go. I love where it's going, but we got it. We it's it's one heck of a journey, and the challenge is is the cost barrier to entry. Is right. definitely coming down because you've got people now putting basically quantum online. So, you know, IBM and a bunch of others are doing it. But we got a long way to go on that one. I had a podcast last year before COVID with Chris Lindbergh. He's the he, he used to be the chief innovation. He he is the chief innovation officer for the CDC. Yep. Uh, one of the I don't know if you know Chris, but one of the smartest people um, I've met. And we did an entire podcast on a Friday in my house and he came in and it ended up going three hours. Now we ended up putting like an hour and 40 minutes online because the other hour and 20 minutes, we went down a rabbit hole on quantum that I felt like we would lose a lot of the people. But um, um, I left that conversation convinced with all my might, everything that quantum computing is going to be the technology that is able to help um, um, close the gap between humans and technology. Yeah. It's it's that technology. And, and whoever wins in quantum is going yeah. to rule the new world economy. Whoever yeah, wins at quantum, not AI. They've no. been talking about AI, but no, it's quantum. Quantum, whoever wins at quantum is going to win in the new world economy. Well, that's, I mean, if you look at the amount of companies that are starting to put somewhat commercial offerings 
of quantum architectures together, it's really interesting to see. I mean, IBM's just split itself up to very much so focus on some of those areas uh, and no two ways about it. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in that space. Um, part of my, I gave a lecture at uh, Purdue or Stanford or somewhere, and one of the lectures I gave was quantum mechanics. So that's part of my background and some of the fun stuff. I come from a crypto and other things. And so the quantum stuff is always interesting to me because, you know, we know so, what we think we know so much about, we know so little about, which is basically our surroundings and life and everything around us. And when you start looking into those realms and you start opening up those possibilities, as long as you have an open mindset, again, we'll go back to, we'll go back to cyber, we go back to Israel, the open mindset to be able to debate, to be able to articulate, argue, whatever you want to call it. It's really interesting because it just opens up so many other mindsets and areas that we really haven't considered before. So I think it has the potential to at least open a lot of other things up. Absolutely. Um, we are almost out of time. So I just want to say this. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm excited for your talk on Monday. I really, really am. Like, um, I know that Sunday night I'm going to sleep early. I'm going to wake up early. <laughs> um I, I, I got to get ready, right? Like They're recording it. You're fine. They're recording it. I'm pretty sure they're... Well, let's face it. We pre-recorded the darn thing. Well, so I, I mean, mo- most of it is pre-recorded because if you're doing a live event and let's say you have a situation like we had here slightly, <laughs> that, that would that, that would be uh, kind of off off base. But plus, you want kind of want to have your content flow, right? Yeah. Um, th- I, think, I think that's really important. Even though it's pre-recorded, it's still going live there. And um, on my CyberHub podcast, I'll be doing a daily recap next week oh. of every single day so people can yes. tune in. Um, I'll be adding four minutes at the end of every podcast beyond just you know the stories I'm watching for the day. Um, just doing kind of like a recap of Tel Aviv University Cyber Week. If you Google it and you register and you use CyberHub free, you get a free ticket. There's a limited amount of tickets, folks. So... Um, you know, otherwise you're going to have to pay. And, you know, Israelis, they don't do anything for free. Like nothing is free in Israel. Like even if they tell you it's free, it's not free. <laughs> Love it. Doesn't exist in Israel. Like oh. that is one thing. When I lived in Israel, you know, you talked about like missiles raining down. I remember like um, I lived in, uh, during the uh, second Gaza war in 2014. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I remember I was in Tel Aviv and the alarm went off and everyone's running and I'm in my nonchalance. Like, I'm like, eh. I was like, they're never going to let a missile raid down on Tel Aviv. Iron Dome's going to shoot that thing down before yeah. it even gets near Tel Aviv. And it did. Iron Dome, I mean, which is an amazing piece of innovation. And I don't know if you ever got to see the Iron Dome missile battery. Oh, I'm I'm, I'm very well. I, I hacked missiles in my past. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> the actual missile battery, though, it's 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 yeah. unbelievable to see the amount of technology. And then oh, a, yeah. a 19-year-old kid's operating it. And you're like, yeah. a 19-year-old kid's operating that. And then people will go, why is Israel a startup capital? Well, because when you trust a 19-year-old to defend, you know, one million people that are within 60 seconds of death, and it's yeah. his job to hit the machine and deploy the missiles and ensure yeah. that, that there's a, there's accuracy, um, you pretty much grow up really, really fast. You don't become a drunk teenager at a, at a, yeah. at a, at a university in the States. Well, it's been a pleasure. It's been a ton of fun hanging out. Love the conversations. And uh, I will be up early Monday morning as well because we're doing the talks with uh, both Jayla and Chris are alive. So I have to at least be up, alive, and civilized with a good cup of tea in my hand. 
Well, a good cup of tea, or I'll have to get you some really good espressos. I will have that conversation, definitely. I, I will actually drink espresso. I spent a bunch of time over in Spain and in uh, in Italy and uh, a bunch of Middle East countries that definitely take their espresso seriously. So I'll drink that stuff, but most burnt bean products can't be bothered with. Well, so in Israel, they have what I like to call the Arabic-Turkish coffee, the mud coffee. The mud, I love those freaking coffees. They're amazing. I mean, you can drink about that much of it before you start chewing the rest of it, but they are absolutely, yeah. I'm, so I'm next time... There's actually a place in Atlanta. Um, there's a place in Atlanta that does them. Does a really, really nice job. In fact, there's, I think they've got a couple of places now um, in Atlanta that does an amazing job of uh, making them. I used to, when I lived out in Atlanta, I found the place and, yeah, I used to camp out there at night. They're up until like 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. So um, when I come to Colorado next time, or you're in Atlanta next time, or we're in Israel, I'll I'll hand make it. Ooh. Like I know how to make the stuff. Learned how to do there it. You don't live that in Israel works. without learning how to make mud coffee. Like that, that is just works. not part of it, folks. That's it for today's episode. We're gonna let Chris get back to his vacation. We can, you know, everyone knows that um, with Chris we can have unlimited conversations. So that's <laughs> it. That that that's it for. Today, happy Friday, Shabbat Shalom, Tel Aviv University Cyber Week. Cyber Hub free is the code to get your free ticket. Link in the description below for those listening or watching on YouTube. Um, for those on LinkedIn, I'll be uh, posting it in the comment section of this video so you can see it. Um, that's it. We're signing off until um, you know Monday when we'll be back. <laughs> until then, guys, have a great weekend. Enjoy it all. Uh, stay healthy and stay cyber safe.